Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and... Uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas will get such a shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their houses for 10 years. So Jim McGuinness is not involved in the Galway backroom team, lads. We can confirm this. So Parrish Joyce was speaking this morning. Obviously, this news broke yesterday, and we saw some hidden camera footage of Jim taking a Galway training session. Ironically, it could have been a person hiding up a tree, um, which <laughs> which Jim uh, sent down to Kerry before the 2014 All-Ireland uh, final. So a bit of irony there. Anyway, Porrick Joyce was speaking this morning um, and he said he's a qualified professional performance coach. And I felt at the time we needed a kind of a mental aspect to the game to get a kind of a bit of extra bonus into the players. There's a lot more to training a team than going out in the pitch and just kicking points or just blocking and defending. There's a lot of aspects to it. Jim brought a different element yesterday and the lads enjoyed the session as, the session as much as I did. This, this, this was my instinct when I saw it uh, first, Conan, is that we've all been a part of teams that have gotten somebody down to do a good session, which he, you know... Um, an interesting session just pretty much to break up the monotony of what's all, already there it's it's a good idea um he's not going they're not they don't impinge on what the game plan is they just do a, a session from a different uh, perspective and then they line you up to say all right lads we're going to do the worst drill of all time <laughs> <laughs> you hop past to him and then go to the back of the queue um yeah like I, i'd say like a fresh voice more than anything is probably the the best thing for that because especially during lockdown you've probably just had phone calls and zoom sessions with Porrick Joyce over uh, over the whole year so having Jim McGuinness and I'm, I'm sure like and Connor you spoke before about him doing that drill with your club I'm sure it's, it's, it's mm. great intensity and he's probably probably talks really well during sessions as well but I can just I can just imagine his heartbreak when he saw that footage coming out and I can I can see an interview of him now like you know uh, to be honest with you Colin we felt that the group was compromised now and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I keep him raging he's just back in the GA six years later and bang footage straight out of it yeah I think he he started that uh, call in the panel the group did he was that I think that was McGuinness that started that I, I actually hate calling your teammates the group it's taken <laughs> off it's taken off so like I mean we, we we did see the drill he was doing Connor. nothing too scientific about it in actual fact those type of drills have zero relevance to Gaelic football in any shape or form because for anyone who hasn't seen it you've two we've all done it nobody listening to this that has togged out in a football session has not done the drill 
And sometimes you'll do it kind of crisscross. You'll go across at an angle, you know, to really mix it up and confuse everybody. But you're basically two groups facing each other and you're sprinting past each other. And and you're popping off a hand pass almost like you would in rugby. You know what I mean? In rugby, you're just popping it up in front of them. I'm sure McGuinness is shouting at them and making them concentrate and there's a conscience concentration element to it but I'd say a lot of people were probably surprised at how basic a drill it is considering it was, it was Jim McGuinness doing it. It's, it's, it's the first drill that anybody did the first drill that anybody probably did at their first underage training session one line you know one line facing each other and you go back and hand fast back and over as Conan said and I, I don't like to talk about this but Jim McGuinness did, did take our club for a session years ago and was the first drill and I was reading his book and he did the exact same thing with the Donegal senior team so the whole purpose of it is it's not I don't like Jim McGuinness doesn't pretend that he's he's gonna you know this isn't that this isn't isn't anything but a basic drill. The purpose of it is he says at the start you do it absolutely flat out at a hundred percent. And if the Galway lads or the Donegal lads are like us, he stops it after thirty seconds and he says, "Lads, you weren't doing that at a hundred percent. You need to up it by about twenty five percent." So he gets a message in your head that this is going to be this is going to be flat out, and you need to do better if you if you think you're going to walk through this session, this isn't going to happen. So ties in with what Porrick Joyce was saying, I imagine about. It's purely McGuinness's um, role, I, I would imagine, is purely psychological. As you said, it's, it's refreshing for somebody else to take a session. And then I, I think that whether it's once or whether it's, you know, a few more times that he calls them in, you know, before, you know, throughout the season, it's going to be purely what can McGuinness do to maybe just give them something different uh, from a mental edge. And like, you know, whatever about the, with the drills that Jim McGuinness has done, like anyone that's listened to him, I'm sure anyone that's been trained with him, you know, trained with him or trained under him, can testify that like he does add huge he does add a huge amount from a mental perspective so listen if that works for Galway you know whether it's one session yesterday or whether it's a few sessions between now and the end of the season Park Joyce is, is dead right to tap into that uh, Michael Meehan was talking I think it was on Morning Ireland this morning or some RT show and he was say he said that the strongest aspect of McGuinness could influence would be the defence and counter-attacking based on the way his Donegal side played and I saw other people um, tweeting about, geez, if Jim McGuinness can shore them up defensively and then you add Porrick Joyce's attacking game plan. I'm like, you can't do everything. Like, I mean, the way Jim McGuinness coached defending was strength in numbers. The way Porrick Joyce coaches defending is one-on-one and standing your man up more old school. You cannot have Porrick Joyce's game plan mixed with Jim McGuinness's game plan. It's actually impossible, Conan. And anyone that says that hasn't a clue what you're talking about. I completely agree, and I'd say that McGuinness wouldn't want any part of that as well, because if you think what he did with Donegal, he basically spent two years with him, getting him to the point where they were the fittest team in Ireland, and working through a system that they got better and better and better at. Like, yeah, you can't just give him six players and say, right, make them better defenders. <laughs> well, no, 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 but just to pull you up on that, I'm sure like that might that wouldn't be Jim's philosophy, and I'm definitely not. But I would say McGuinness would be a talented enough coach that he could probably coach that way if you know if Porrick Joyce asked him to do it. Oh, like a hundred percent. Like we we spoke about this before. Like every time we mention Jim McGuinness as Donegal, the thing that people miss when all these copycat coaches do it is that that was perfect for that Donegal team. He designed a system that perfectly suited each of those individuals and it it worked brilliantly. But like I'm saying, he, he can't you can't just give him a, a group of players and say, right, away, away, you go down there now and be a defensive coach. Like he's not going to want to do that. He'll want to be part of the whole thing. Like I can't imagine Jim McGuinness being a, a Stephen Rochford, for example, and just coming in as a, an assistant coach or a, a defensive coach. Yeah, himself and uh, Porrick Joyce are obviously teammates. They both were down there in Tralee in 99 when I was there, and both of them were in there in 98. 
um, as well. So, like, I mean, they are they are friendly, and whether Jim would give do him a turn, considering you know that it's only a couple of months. I don't think that would be the case anyways, because like, I mean, what manager wants Jim McGuinness in taking all the credit for what you've done? Porrick Joyce has done as good a, as good a job. And we know obviously maybe Jim could change if a manager told him that's not what I want. But at the same time, Jim's 100% experience at inter-county level has been dropping uh, around 13 players back inside the 45, waiting for um, a turnover, intensity, fitness, and then breaking at speed. It's absolutely not the way Galway are playing. So, you know, there's too many factors kind of pointing against McGuinness taking over to look after the, the Galway defence. The Galway defence is perfectly fine as far as I'm concerned. Connor. Yeah, it really is. Like, and it's flourishing under the style that, that Porrick Joyce has imposed this year, you know, which is which is far different from from what what they would have played under, you know, under under Kevin Welsh. And, you know, I was thinking that like if if you know McGuinness might nearly be the kind of natural successor to Paddy Talley and the, the role that Paddy Talley played under Kevin Welsh, but you made the good point there that these the the style that McGuinness had with Donegal does it, it doesn't ally it doesn't it doesn't ally with the with the one that with Park Joyce has, has imposed for Galway since which is moving the ball as quickly as possible and with the foot and it's not about getting numbers you know as if 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 the, if forwards drift back it's because they're following their men but they're not naturally getting behind the ball let's say in the manner that McGuinness's would so as you said I think it's just they know each other well. I think we get like Joyce elaborated on, on like on that. They said they're still well in touch. They're still in touch regularly. So listen, if it was just a case for he might get him in for a session or two or anything like that, but but the the prospect of him becoming you know involved in the backroom yeah. team on a longer basis than that, I don't think it is going to be a thing. Yeah, me neither. So in other news, Fermanagh have been forced to play the clear match. We were talking about this last um, Thursday. They've they've ten players positive. Um, like I mean, and they still have to go down to Clare now. They won't have trained before it, and I I don't know, uh, Conan. Like I mean, it's, it it just seems very very harsh, right? McManaman says I know Croke Park have said we haven't put it put it in officially that we want to postpone. You can probably tell them that good things come to those who wait. So they are going to officially ask for it to be postponed. It is coming. Croke Park know our concerns. The GPA have now put forward our concerns. In fairness, what from what we've been told. Clear spoke very passionately on our behalf for the game to be postponed. Colin Collins has come out and he said he actually wanted to play the game midweek at a neutral venue, more or less to give us the chance. So I don't know, Conan, it, it doesn't seem fair that this game is going ahead. I understand the very tight schedule. There's too much riding on this game, um, really, for, for Mana to give them some sort of a chance. Colin Collins is open to the idea of maybe playing it um, at some other time. There's a lot of the Fermanagh lads sick. How long is their quarantine, 14 days, you know, going to be up? Some of them, it will be up. Others, it won't. They'll just be going out in the field in Clare, having not trained together, um, you know, for the previous two weeks. And they'd be pretty much sitting ducks for a hammering, you'd imagine. Yeah. And like we say 14 days quarantine, like we don't know what's, what Ireland will be like in 14 days time or what Fermanagh will be like. They might have more cases at that stage. So it's, I can sympathise with the GA as well. Like in 14 days time, the championship is supposed to be starting. So Oh, like it, look, none of this is ideal, and it probably comes back to the the casual and close contacts question. It's like if they're training outdoors, not sitting in change rooms together, not traveling in games together, and they're they're doing everything right, then they you know they shouldn't be considered close contacts. So the the rest of the players can continue on, like the rest of the panel, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I know they're they're being ripped apart, but I'd feel I'd feel less comfortable about the team being thrown out of the championship or the league, you know, rather than a few players missing out and just probably like maybe the only solution, and this is probably a bit too extreme, is to stop relegation the way like Dublin did it this year I still think promotion should happen 
have more teams being relegated next year. But if you do think it's too harsh, like I don't think we can stop the the league. Like the show does have to go on if we want to get it done. But yeah, um, the, the problem with that though is the Talton Cup. Like I mean, the league positions this year are going to decide it, which makes it even more unfair, really, on Fermanagh that they could be lumped into the Talton Cup next year um, in twenty twenty one based on this year's league standings. Do you know if they cancel that, they're canceling the Talton Cup? Yeah, well, like that, maybe that wouldn't be the worst idea, will it? <laughs> Get rid of the Tottenham Cup. Yeah, no, I agree. So it probably is too. It uh, is messy. It's definite. There's no doubt it's messy. Darren O'Sullivan was tweeting saying, I definitely wouldn't be comfortable playing against a team with a positive case, yeah. let alone multiple cases. But you'd imagine the positive cases won't be playing. <laughs> like the positive play- cases won't be playing at that stage, right? Exactly. And like, sure, he, he can't he can tell that the people who are playing like are completely free of the virus or they might be asymptomatic or they might not have been tested. You know, yeah. you are running at risk by playing anyway. Like, you know, when he's at, as much at risk if he's if he's playing against these players as, as the other boys who are casual contact with positive cases. So I can understand his frustration, but like maybe you just don't play if that's the case and nobody's going to blame you for it. Yeah, there is no doubt. Uh, Darren O'Sullivan said in his tweet, things are about to get very messy. And I would agree with that, Connor. Like, and I think we all need to be prepared for this year's championship. This year's championship is not going to be like any championship we've ever seen. Teams will pull out. Teams will line out in a provincial final with half their team. Like I, I think everybody listening has to prepare themselves mentally and not have an outrage every time this happens. This is the reality of where we are right now. I really think so, especially with the way with the way we're going, especially in the last few weeks. And and just just before we started recording here, just to like the, another fella in the another player in the Irish uh, football team tested positive as well. And you can see how much of a, a mess that's been in the last few days. So so like that's that, that's what people have to be prepared for. Like the way I'm thinking at the moment is. The GA and like you can you can't really blame them as well given the schedule, but the GA, you know, people are asking the GA to to do something about it. But I think at the moment they're prepared to, you know, if if Fermanagh are going to be the only ones, and it's it's probably not going to be a case that's going to be the only ones because if they they're, they're they want some form of championship to go ahead, and if they're if they're going to make you know if they're going to make arrangements for this game, then they're going to have to make arrangements for other games when it comes further down the tracks when there's other counties that have you know, multiple cases and stuff like that. So it's just really messy. Just, uh, it's, it's, I like, I feel so sorry for Fermanagh. And like, I just have to say like as well, fair play to, to Colin Collins, you know, for, 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 for offering up that sort of alternative. Cause it's not as if like Claire or Claire are in serious trouble as well. If Claire lose that game, they face being relegated too. So like they could probably sit back quietly and just maybe hope that they're going to play against a Fermanagh team that that's struggling badly or hope that something might be done, but they've, they've been willing to offer, They've been willing to offer an alternative, so it was really positive to, to hear that come from Colin Collins. Yeah, well, to, to make matters worse for Fermanagh, and like, I mean, Clare might be in relegation trouble, but they have so, had some very good news. Gary Brennan and Jamie Malone are back in the squad, just to really rub it in with Fermanagh. Not only have half their team um, out sick, they now have to play uh, Clare with their two best players, which weren't wouldn't have ha- wouldn't have been there back in in March or whenever um, it was supposed to be. So, like, I mean, um, that's definitely kicking for Mana when they're down. Fergal McGill was talking. I think this could have been RT Sport, and he's talking about what we're talking about here. He said it's very probable that if a county is unable to fulfil a game, that we'll just have to plough on ahead. We're very anxious to get 2020 competitions completed in the 2020 year. That may not be possible, but at the moment, we think it will be possible. Again, everybody listening, just just prepare yourself mentally. It might be your county. It might be another county. It might be Dublin or it might be Tipperary, you know, like I mean, all, defending all Ireland champions. And they might have to, to go out. And like there is going to be an asterisk beside the All-Ireland winners at the end of this year, Conan. I don't think anyone is in any doubt about that. 
Yeah, I, I don't like that Fergal McGill saying about plowing on like with, without teams. Like, I, I don't think that should be a case. And, and I get that they want to finish it all in this calendar year, but I still think they should they shouldn't be holding themselves a ransom with that. Like they, they should have known when you're starting a championship in November <laughs> in a pandemic, there's a chance that it, it might get kicked on a bit. Like and, and then realize that 2021 won't be a perfect season again, especially considering the thing will still be going on. So I, I just don't like the idea of any team being thrown out of it. Like. It's not going to be ideal, as I said, with those teams playing with weakened squads. But yeah. like, that's the best way, and I'd rather that happen than a team being thrown out. That's what's going to happen. Like, I mean, the team will fulfil it. You could be just down seven of your best players. And, you know, that's why there might be a, a, an asterisk beside... It depends who wins it. Like, I mean, it definitely... If Tipperary and Dublin win it, we'll say, ah, well, look, that's the, that's just... That would have happened in a normal year anyways. Um, they're defending All-Ireland champions. I see the GEA and the GPA, they've been um, in discussions... Um, they're talking about reduced mileage rates for intercounty players. So it's back down to 50 cent a mile. That's what it was when I was playing. Um, it had gone up to 65 cent a mile. So the GE are trying to save on on mileage, um, which is fair enough considering the financial predicament um, that they're in. The GA wanted to drop it down to 45 cent a mile for the first 100 miles and 30 cent thereafter. But the, the GPA have uh, dug in and they have... Um, you know they've definitely got a good deal for their members. They've been in a great. They've been um, also talking about their um, contract together, um, and th- this is the GA and the GPN. This has been in in negotiations for months and months, and it hasn't been agreed. And it'd be interesting to see the agreement now because the landscape has changed massively. Considering the GPA were kind of digging in, looking for more money off the GEA, I would say, I, I would say, Conan, the GPA would be lucky to be around in the next three or four years. Considering the GEA won't be able to afford to give them all the money that they've given them, their commercial income is nowhere near it used to be before they became dependent on the GEA's money. And I would say the GPA are in a perilous position at the moment. Probably, um, and considering like those uh, wages that were coming out and stuff when, when Colin Rourke was reporting them, like it's, it's obviously a lot of money that's being spent on just manpower alone. But uh, the GPA, even with that position that they're in, managed to get a good deal here, I think. And yeah. when you consider that all those players are probably going to be traveling alone to games, like that's mm-hmm. a lot more mileage. The GAA could end up spending more money on mileage, like, you know, with all these players traveling around the country to games, not just training. So uh, I think the GPA have played a blinder in this case, but you're right. I, I don't know what their future is going to look like. Well, that's it. Their, the, their contract ended last year. And it's just been, it's been, they've been negotiating it uh, for pretty much all this year. So I think the negotiations are about to end. So we we'll see that. Yeah, well, that's true. A lot of teams now hiring two buses, Connor. But like the safest thing to do is for players just to to drive to matches, isn't it? Like, I mean, I know you're splitting buses into two, but Jesus, if 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 you'd be close contacts on a bus, unless maybe you're you're able to split out to one seat on your own. Um, but at the same time, if somebody coughs on that bus, you could be in, in a bit of bother. It's the safer thing not to just let everybody drive to these matches and not have half your squad that were travelling on one bus being compromised because you will have a game the following weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I suppose you have to think as well that like players will be players will have to drive to, to get to the bus anyway. You know, like they, they'll have to drive from somewhere to get to the bus. So if they're in the cars as well and if they're on their own, like for safety reasons, I know like uh, 
Neffet back in back in August were big on you know close contacts traveling in cars together and stuff like that. So if people are traveling individually on their own, just makes sense to um just makes sense to let let them keep going that way. I suppose like you were the first person I thought of, Wooly, that the when when it said that it was people were traveling individually in their cars because that's but but that puts an end to the practice when you know players used to be carpooling but pretending they were driving by themselves to train and keeping the money for themselves. So. Oh, exactly. I think uh, maybe a thousand to twelve hundred per month. I was uh, I was getting tax free money out of that little scam that we had going uh, all meeting up in Dublin and coming down together. Um, yeah, geez, that was great, great, great times. Um, David David Clifford has been talking about the captaincy. And it, listen, this listen, we know everybody listening knows. My I love for David Clifford, but it's not really his fault. But it's just a little pet peeve I have about captaincy within the GEA. And he says, um, there's not a whole pile to it when asked about the captaincy. He says, um, captaincy this year has amounted to be the administrator of the players' WhatsApp group. That's about it. And then he continues on. He says, there's plenty of players in the Kerry dressing room have been around a lot longer than me. So I leave them to it. It's a massive honour and it's something I'm proud of, but it's not changed my responsibility too much. And again, this is what stuff I give out about, Connor. Like, I mean, you pick a captain for a reason. You, a captain shouldn't be forced on you. David Clifford, not a whole pile to it. I just leave the leaders to it. A captain is supposed to be the leader. He's supposed to drive the squad. He's supposed to take that responsibility massively seriously. He's supposed to be the right person for the job. He's supposed to be a conduit between the panel and the management. You know, and there's so many, it's so important, I would, importance I would put on picking a captain and David Clifford's ad there's not a whole pile too it's not really much <laughs> I'm, I'm obviously proud of it but it's just not right and then you, you look at it on the flip side and is Kilkenny still persisting with this old tradition and Kerry and they're the two leaders on the role of honour in, in All-Ireland so I don't know what to think It's strange like uh, yeah that's a good point you make it hard to argue with Kilkenny and Kerry but like it's, it's not the best way to pick a captain and- Can't be a captain's role is really important, as you say. It's more to, than what David Clifford thinks it is. But that's, <laughs> that's the beauty of David Clifford as well. He just doesn't seem to care about anything but putting the ball in the back of the net and over the bar. And like, on one hand, it doesn't really matter as much because, like, you know, I think on the training pitch and in the in the WhatsApp group, even and the changing rooms, like these leaders sort of emerge themselves and people follow them naturally because they are their leaders. Like they, they've emerged through the group like a jungle almost. And but on the other hand, like. Yeah, you're right. All that stuff you mentioned that a captain has to do, even especially during lockdown, even checking in on boys, keeping morale up just to see if uh, if they're doing their training, things like yeah. that. That's what a, a good captain will be doing, checking in on the last member of the squad and, as you say, being the link man between the manager and the team. So it's a strange one, but I still think there'll, there'll be enough leaders there that they'll end up just following the, the right men anyway. Yeah, some some captains go above and beyond, like Connor. Like, I mean, they, they would almost take, you know... A role not being in the backroom team, but like texting you to see her, is everything all right? If they see you at training, you know, not going well, all those kind of things that you would think a manager do, would, would should do. A good captain can do all that stuff, and he can be relaying it to management. I I, I put a huge importance on on captaincy. I just wonder, like in these counties, with, with like with Kerry and Kilkenny, that they probably have these leadership groups. Maybe do you know, like that. That, that yeah, I don't like. I I don't like those leadership groups. Liam Kearns yeah. had one of them. That that creates an us and them um, feeling sure. within a squad. As far as I'm concerned, I used to, I used to resent that leaders group. If I'm being honest. No, and, and there will be plenty. I'm just I'm just trying to kind of envisage a situation where like if David Clifford doesn't doesn't say that there's a whole pile to it, like there is. Like I, I'm just going back to we talked about Desi Keneally last week, for example. Um, 
for Mike Cullen and as a 22 year old how much of an inspiration he was and there's a lot as you said there, there can be a lot to depending on who inhabits the role there can be a lot to to the captaincy so but whether it's the case that in in Kerry that Peter Keane for example knows that David Clifford the way that he's going to be a leader is what he does is people are going to get inspiration off David Clifford from what he does on the pitch whether it's winning dirty ball whether it's like kicking massive scores or just you know even seeing somebody like David Clifford working really hard and then they're like yeah well he's the captain we can kind of get behind that so like I, I imagine that like in in group like that in Kerry and Kilkenny that like I, w- I would have thought with David Clifford for example that like you don't you don't necessarily maybe he is that type of character but I would have thought you kind of want to ab- absolve him from that sort of responsibility that he has enough kind of he has enough pressure on him being marked by the by the best, you know, defenders around pressure to score, yeah. you know, an amount every game and stuff like that. So that like the kind of the admin or the off field matters that you kind of absolve them, absolve them of that as much as possible. So as Colin said, like, well, as, as, as Clifford said himself, maybe it's just the case that like the leaders in the Kerry dressing room and the Kenny dressing room realize that they are leaders and they're happy to take the onus off, off Clifford in, in, in those regards. Yeah, maybe that's it. Eddie Brennan has been talking about uh, pre-season. Um, he also was talking that he said that if this was his first year with Leash, he'd have pulled out. It's just that it went so well last year that, that he kind of feels a responsibility to the squad. I thought that was funny. Like if, if I took a team over this year, I'd be like, lads, so notice I'm out of here. This is ridiculous. I know. <laughs> what would you be doing? Like, I mean, it's trying, what a waste of your life of a year you know for anyways so respect to everyone who hasn't thrown in the towel like I might I might have had so he's talking about uh, pre-season and pre-season training and he says it's he's talking about this year and restrictions and lockdowns whatever he says it's forced our hands into realizing that we don't need three months of pre-season and leash lads running around haywood in the freezing cold with sheets of rain falling down on them a ratio of training to matches is way too high and because of that then you're not seeing lads going flat out for that 15 year career anymore lads are putting so much into a short period of time six or seven years the attraction or the grow goes here's my theory on three month pre-seasons how about you just don't do them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> do you know what I mean this is like in any normal year how about you don't do them and just because your neighbours are doing them doesn't mean you have to do them like I mean there's a responsibility on every single intercounty manager to not do that and not have the year dragged out way longer than it should be and how can professional soccer players have their pre-season how long do they have that con and you're more into that than me four to six weeks along with games and stuff I know they're professionals but if you can't get physically fit training three times a week for six weeks what on earth are you doing that's it but it's just it's hard like because somebody a new manager will come into a group and they'll look to start earlier and then another manager will come in and look to start earlier and like i think eddie brennan was talking about yeah you know, shortening the season and, and making the club split club and county split but mm. like i don't i don't think that would stop the window of of county training like i think people would might still, not no yeah, yeah i think he would still be training because like, he's talking about the the ratio of of matches to training, and I think it would actually go way up. Then, if you if you had that amount of time without playing games, people will still be training. Away. Well, well, no, you'd have the club season running solidly August, September, probably October, and county teams would have too many players involved in that. You know, maybe they would go back in November, or December. Yeah, like that. That's that's not a bad point, but. As soon as you're out of the club season, like you're you're into pre-season with the county, and I I don't know, I I just can't. It's it's hard to sort of unknow what you know. Do you know what I mean? It's like people know if you train longer and for harder harder, you'll 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 get fitter. So they'll they'll st- like people will start doing that naturally, and then once you hear that 
that one team has gotten an advantage and everybody else starts doing it. And it's, it's just always hard to roll back from that. Yeah, no, I look, in, in fairness, it is. And the one thing that a lot of managers hide behind, and I've heard them doing it, they brag about, look how many training sessions we've done, lads. Look, how, mm-hmm. like, a, you know, this is what commitment you've mm-hmm. given. And it could be off the charts, Connor, how many training sessions you've done since the previous October. They're using this maybe as a way of giving you some sort of confidence in your fitness. They can always, they can always nearly cite a date that they, you know, they're, oh, we went back on November 1st and we did, as you said, we did 25 yeah. sessions or not in November or something like that. Or I'll remember when we were running through the shit in November and all this sort of stuff. And it's used as, and that, that stuff filters, that stuff filters out. And especially in a copycat culture like the GA, and then they're just like, oh, these boys have been at it since, you know, November or October or something like that. And, and you think, Jesus, if, if I'm not doing it, you, you know, you nearly get worried. Whereas this season will, will show you that like, like I, I, like, I'm just glad to hear here that everyone's speaking the same language and that that's even somebody as, you know, as experienced as, you know, as, as Eddie Brennan. Like I thought it might be just me as an older player this year that like I was just delighted. We had very little of a preseason, you know, because of the circumstances that, that were imposed upon us, you know, three to four weeks. And then it's games, games, games. And I was like, geez, I could go, oh, I could go for this all the time, as opposed to starting at the, you know, starting starting in the winter and then having to having your season go on for that long. So, but that's, I know, like, it's just, as Eddie Brennan, I think, was saying, like circumstances have come upon us, and now we need to now the GA need to act and kind of act, you know, make sure that this system kind of stays in place for longer. But like, I I, I don't know when 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 Conan says it's so on, it's so hard to unknow what you know, and then when people start back training earlier again, another county's going to yeah. do it, another county's going to do it, and it's just it's a vicious circle, and it just hopefully it doesn't return. It definitely, it definitely. Niall Kelly's out for six months, lads. Some terrible news for him. Obviously, a tie won the county final. He went off injured. Um, didn't think too much of it um, at the time, but he ruptured his Achilles tendon. So I hadn't heard this before. So he said, I actually thought that someone had kicked me in the back of the leg. The specialist was saying it's a common reaction. Do you look behind to see who hit you? And that's exactly what happened to me. So when I saw there was no one behind me, I was like, oh, Jesus, uh, this could be bad. I'd never heard that before, Conan, that... Uh, if you do your Achilles, it's like somebody's kicked you in the back. You turn around to go, here, what's your problem? And there's actually nobody there. Yeah, like the, <laughs> the real life sniper, you know, when you're getting you're getting kicked in the back of it. Yeah, it's, it sounds sounds terrible. Actually, one of my club mates suffered it this year and like he's bedridden for a while and he's out of work and terrible, terrible injury and like just can't can't walk. Like need to learn how to how to walk again on that foot. So um yeah heart goes out to Nile and then they obviously had to come off during that club championship final big loss for Kildare he is a loss for Kildare this year because uh, it, it's obvious that um Jack O'Connor fancied him um he'd been away traveling and he'd been in and out of the team the year before but he'd played all five of the Kildare league games so far this year so Jack obviously um felt he was an important uh, player for him this year so he's going to be a loss another bit of news here we don't cover the the women's uh, game all that often here on the show um I don't have time to be honest with you but the Camogie Association and the LGFA have both voted against a new rule in relation to, relation to the dual player so this obviously is a bit of an issue in that they both set their fixtures out they're both independent organizations and if you're a dual player you can frequently have games doubling up on each other you know so like i mean seems a little bit unfair on dual players maybe there's just no place for dual players in the in the women's game but we know the lgfa voted against it and the camogie association at the weekend have also um voted against it so it's only 24 percent in favor um 76 
percent against. So disappointing, uh, Connor, but not hugely surprising. Um, it doesn't look like maybe they'll argue. Look, fixtures are a difficult enough job at the best of times without having to, you know, do what the GEA do and have to give them all alternative weekends. Yeah, but just it's it's ultra disappointing then as well, Willie, when you see that the didn't the women's GBA do a survey on like the motion to support the the motion to support the facilitation of the dual player, and I think it had ninety seven percent support amongst the members, like ninety seven percent near universal, and then it goes to Congress or haven't already been rejected by the LGFA, I think back in March, and then the Camogie Association it only gets twenty four percent. Yeah, I, you know, like uh, like I was just reading the Marie Hickey, um, I think she's president of the LGFA, was saying that like. Um, I think this is back when the, when it was rejected by the LGFA and saying that the the overwhelming feeling was that there was excellent collaboration between the two bodies on dual players and it's obvious from from a load of different cases in in recent weeks that that doesn't seem to be the case and I think you're looking at I was reading this morning I think you have five five Cork players threatening to boycott games um, they're down to be played at the the Cork Mogi team the Cork football team are due to play in the same day next month and they 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 don't want a week apart they only want twenty four hours apart. And that can't be facilitated, so they're considering a boycott. So, listen, we, we, we went into it. There's just the, the collaboration just doesn't seem to be there. And it's the players that are continuing to try to be dual players that are suffering. And if, if, if this goes on, they're, they're probably just not going to do that and have to have to have to take sides. Yeah, that's desperate, Conan, really, isn't it? Like, I mean, surely the women's GPA, this is right up their alley for being able to do, you know, make a stand on this. Whatever about inter-county level, because the dual player doesn't really work at inter-county level. But she's a club level. Surely you should have the option to be able to play for your for your club in both hurling and in camogie and in football. Ah, definitely. Like, it's hard at inter-county level. You nearly wouldn't want to see it at inter-county level because... Well, obviously you would like to see it, but the way it's gone in the men's game, it's like it's gone so elite that you can't do both. And the women's games are, try- are sort of pushing and getting strides to become that that level that the men are at. But uh, a club level, like especially like, once again, we talk about this all the time. It's, it's it's always the players in the middle who are losing out from this, and it's always because they have these different organisations that are at loggerheads, and that's including the LGFA with the GA and the LGFA with the Camogie Association. So. Yet again, it's another story of, of players not getting what they deserve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yellow slitters. We're going to see this um, in the hurling this this winter. Um, this has been mooted for a while. I have no issues with this at all. I'm not a hurling person, obviously. There's two different parts of this. Some traditionalists don't, just don't like the yellow ball. They don't like the colour of it, which I think is completely uh, ridiculous. It's probably better under floodlights, especially in the dark, um, the dark evenings. So the traditionalists just don't like the colour of it. There's another issue with it, and this is from Owen Murphy, which is a much more uh, serious issue. He says they're like poking rocks around. He was tweeting, I'll need 500 hurls now to poke these rocks around. So apparently they're a different weight and than the, 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 the slitters that the lads would be used to. Um, Derek McGraw was on RT Sports saying I was lucky enough to see a couple of teams training over the last few weeks and I didn't see one yellow slitter at any of the training sessions when it was announced yesterday I was kind of saying to myself that it had been rushed I would have liked to have seen a bit more of a piloting of it nothing or not in terms of the research done I know there's been extensive research done but in terms of your introduction of it now two or three weeks before the championship I would be on the Derek McGrath line a little bit uh, Connor of seems to be rushed in if teams aren't training with these new balls and they haven't been rolled out to counties they're not training with the same balls that they're going to be using Owen Murphy says they're much harder which which isn't ideal and it for me, it does seem to be a little bit rushed. 
Well, like haven't like haven't hurling games been played under lights before with with white slitters and there's been very little complaint. So like I don't if that has been the case, why why the need to why the need to bring bring them in? I, like I don't know. Like I saw Owen Murphy's tweet and I saw some people were coming back come back to him saying they're exactly the same that are just a different color. Whereas a lot of a lot of other people had sympathy with them and were saying that they're completely different. So if that's the case and if 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 people as high profile as as Owen Murphy and Derek McGrath who know far more about hurling than I do. Are suggesting that this might be a rush decision, rush decision, and probably unnecessary decision. I, I like. I don't see the need. Like a, at first, I thought that this was just another example of of hurling people being slightly resistant to change fully. But, uh, yeah. but it's as if they've. Uh, it seems as if they've. Um, you know, they they they've they've, they've a good motive for 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 not wanting them to be introduced before the championship. I couldn't I couldn't find anything on them. Um, all I could find on them, Conan, is that they're the balls that are used in the Fenway Classic and Owen Murphy would have used those balls. And if he says they're like rocks and he's breaking his hurl, well, then I'd have to believe him. We have Davy Glennon coming up in part two of the show and he's used them in the Fenway Classic. I'm, I'd be 100% sure. And I'm going to ask him what he thinks of the idea. But I, I don't know why they have, to, they have to be different in weight or like rocks. Like, why can't the current... Uh, slitter makers not just dye the leather and have the exact same ball just yellow yeah like the only thing i can think is joe canning said the same thing today as well he was up for interview and he's his first thing he said was i hope they're not the ones you use in boston okay. now, that's goals only isn't it so unless that's just uh it's heavier for that purpose you know when it's just what they use for the super 11s and you'd like to think it's identical when it comes over here just a different color but uh, I was I was like you like I was wondering what's what's the problem is it's just a change from white to yellow but then I read more of Joe Cannon's quotes and he said he made a good point he said I've been hurling for twenty eight years with a white slitter and now I have two weeks to get ready for a championship yeah with a yellow slitter so like it is very rushed as Derek McGrath would say yeah no I think that is the strongest argument here that they're not given any lead in time if they're a different you know if the, if they are like rocks and they're a different co- I don't know about the color lads Jesus I, I don't. I don't know. Look, I'm not a hurling person. I'm going to stop talking. I'll ask the lads, I'll ask Cheddar and JJ and Brian and these lads when they come back what their thoughts um, on it are. Bernard Brogan's been talking about Dublin lads. He's been doing the rounds on the media with his book. Um, and he's talking about Dublin and he says, this championship is going to pose so many different situations. And that's how Dublin could potentially be caught. And even for him to even suggest Dublin could be caught, I thought was interesting. He says, I'm sure they're very aware of it. But I would prefer to be in the position of a Leash or a Kildare or a Mead or Westmead coming in against Dublin than on the Dublin side. I'm not sure about that, Bernard. Like, I mean, I'll take Dublin side any day of the week being a Leash man. He says, because you're going to have nothing to lose. This championship's going to pose so many different situations and absolutely Dublin could potentially be caught. And I'm sure they're very aware of it. Thought they were interesting uh, quotes, um, Conan. Considering you wouldn't usually hear a Dublin player even mention that they're aware of getting caught. And for Bernard, he has to be doing a Jim Gavin on this, saying that he'd prefer to be in a leash, Kildare Mead position, having nothing to lose, than in the five in a row Dublin uh, uh, defending champions. Oh, like yeah, they've got nothing to lose. Like that, that is true. You know, yeah, they don't have much more other than that. <laughs> That's the one thing that you'd rather have would be with them. But every other advantage is from Dublin. Uh, yeah. 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 I'd rather have the better team, to be honest, and um, like and the bigger squad, especially in this COVID hit year. Like, it, 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 there is more of a chance because the way the season is going, the Dublin could get caught. But after Leinster, it's, it's not now. And then, yeah, go straight into a semi final. So there's only two games. So the chances of them getting caught are slimmer. <laughs> you know, they have they have 140 minutes to get caught. And that's it. So it's a very small chance for people to, to catch Dublin. And 
it's going to be Oscar Leinster. Yeah, I see they're playing Mead on on Saturday night in Parnell Park, Connor. Like, I mean, that's just kind of slipped under the radar. There's no Crook Park for that league game. Yeah, I, I, I only know I only noticed that this morning, Willie, when you said how how much you were looking forward to all the games at the weekend, which I did too. Um, but uh, just going back, like Bernard Brogan was also kind of elaborating. He was kind of saying that like uh, this year being very different, and he was saying, you know. It, uh, because of COVID, we're going to be out, out of Crow Park. You know, we might get caught in kind of different grounds down the country. And I was thinking, well, you've been part of a panel that's gone to any amount of different uh, venues throughout Leinster in recent years and still managed to hammer who was coming up against you. So I found that I found that that thing about prefer to be in the position of Alicia or Kildare very strong. Like each to their own, Bernard. I prefer to be on Dublin side, but uh, like Conan, I think I think they might get caught, Wooly, but it won't be it won't be in Leinster. I think whoever uh, it, to, to to quote the famous saying, whoever is. Uh, comes out of Leinster or comes out of Ulster sorry will be in the long grass waiting to meet, meet them in the semi-final He also came out with uh, the old anecdote the Paul Galvin anecdote I'm sure we've talked this on, about this on the show before uh, Conan my memory's gone um, where Paul Galvin was over talking to the London footballers and he asked them um, how many of them owned a bag of balls and none of them put up their hand and he says you don't own a bag of balls how are you meant to be high performers did we talk about that on the show before um, Conan we did we not no, nope. I, I I actually asked Paul Galvin about it, and I think I ended up taking it out of the interview because um, he was he was meeting Wexford that night. Anyways, maybe that's why it's it's uh it's kind of in my mind. But this was it. God obviously makes an awful lot of sense. And like I mean, usually the only players on a Gaelic football team that will have the ball of bags in the boot is the free taker. Like, I mean, we all kicked the ball. I know a lot less in the last 10 years, but at least that's coming back into it. But the idea usually for the majority i would say two thirds of the squad is training on your own is doing a 5k run or running up a hill or doing some gym session training on your own never seems to equate to kicking points on your own or you know doing some ball work skills on your own we had keen johnson for example talking about kicking the ball up against the gable end of the house to practice um his bad foot but he's a free taker and a finisher he falls into that first category the majority of the team does not do their own training with the ball it is it is amazing. Like you could probably ask ninety nine percent of people listening, the ratio of runs to kicking a ball or the ratio of squats to kicking a ball that they do, and yeah. to be honest with themselves, it's hugely imbalanced. And I'm, I'm the exact same. It's 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 handier to go out and do a run, but like it's funny when you think about say the gym, like you're paying gym membership and you're going in there and you're racking up a squat, and rather than just going down to the pitch and doing something that you that you love doing, it's, it's yeah. strange. No, it is dear. They, they own balls. I've got one. It's fifty quid. You can get them off the club, but if the free takers hogging them, then it's hard, <laughs> it's hard to call rank if you're a wing forward who doesn't kick the balls during a match anyway. So, um, yeah, like it's it's definitely something that people need to look at more. So I spoke to Brian Fenton about it there um, a few weeks ago, and he said people always take for granted like the basics. You're never too good to be practicing the basics of our game, and that's he said people are always surprised. It's all sort of like the Jim McGuinness training session there when when he comes into taking underage team. He said people almost look disappointed that he doesn't have a big box of magic tricks to show them or any sort of yeah. heritage of wisdom. Really, it's just like no, just let's just practice the basics here, and everyone's and it, sort of shocked that it's so simple. Yeah, no, and even on that point, Connor, like, I mean, one of the main things I remember when James Horan took over Mayo in 2011 was hand passing off the left hand, off your bad hand, kicking off your bad foot, kind of went back to a lot of basics of the game that senior footballers, even at club level, never mind the county level, are expected to have perfected, but they haven't. They've been bluffing and getting away with it for a long time. 
Yeah, very much. And you could, to be honest, you could notice a difference in a lot of Mayo players that the skill level came on. I'm, th- I'm thinking of like, of like Colin Boyle, for example, who would have started scoring points from his left foot from 45 yards. Lee Keegan, the same thing, you know, uh, having worked on like, meticulously on these skills for a long time. And I like it. the same, the same thing as Colin said there. Like I am um, during lockdown, I think when, when we were allowed back on the pitch, um, I got two balls from, um, from our manager. It was the first time I've ever had an O'Neill's balls in possession in my house you know you, you just it never it never occurred to me before that to to kind of you know have a bag of balls in my possession that I could go down and kick a few points or just practice my skills whatever and it, like on Bernard Brogan like he he does mention that a lot in the book like his his dad bought him a bag of balls as a as a birthday or a Christmas present because you're like a 10 10 balls from one eels are probably like that'd be like 500 quid or something like that and then after he got the balls he did a lot of kicking you know, either on his own, he, he said that Pat, Paul Finn used to do it regularly with a couple of Dublin coaches and you could see the difference in, in Paul Finn as well. So, you know, people people tend to take these things for granted, whereas, you know, it seems to be the, the it's probably no surprise that the better footballers are the ones who have worked, you know, meticulously on their skills, even though their talent is probably greater than, and you know, the, the vast majority of players to start with. Yeah, no, there's, de- there's definitely a case for that. And maybe, you know, like, I mean, getting your bag of balls and honing your technique, having it exactly right, especially when you see rugby players and you see golfers and you see anyone else in any other sport in the world that, you know, deals with striking a ball, how much thought they put in it. Where I've went through my whole career of just doing it, not really ever honing a technique. I'd have to think about it when I moved over onto my left and, you know, I, I thought about that and I saw a rapid improvement just from thinking about it and practicing it. And I don't think that's done enough in the GA. Maybe it's changing, um, Conan, but definitely throughout my whole career, you just learn your own way of doing it. It might not be exactly right, but look, you make it work for you. You might, you know, you might not be the best point kicker in the world, but you're bloody good on the turn and you're, you know, you're fast and etc. And it's almost like it's taken, right, he's not that good at that rather than saying, how can we get him better at that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you don't do that. You're not that sort of player. Yeah, we'll, put you, we'll put you as a working wing forward. You're, you're just, you, you just can't kick scores. Forget about it. But I, I, I did find myself uh, during the year there, like down kicking the ball and, asking Stephen Smith, who plays the bus, like, how, how is he kicking it? And then he's giving me advice, but I'm starting to change the way I kick, like, all these years later. So it is insane. Like, what you're saying there is, right, find the way that works for you, but you need to be, it needs to be repetition, like, doing it over and over and over again. You can't be trying it every few months and then trying a new way of kicking and hoping that'll work for the next game. Like, take it from me, it doesn't work. <laughs> right. Lads, we'll be back with uh, David Glennon. After the match with uh, you know with Marcy Morrissey and the Marcy squad, and you know the big the big thing for me yesterday with Clare versus hang, Galway was hang on, hang on, did you ask permission to do the Marcy squad there? Well, uh, well, well, I well I didn't <laughs> I didn't, but I was only a special guest. Last Thursday, you asked me the same question when I started bubbles, and I said yesterday on the Marcy squad says yes, I would have started bubbles for that game yesterday. That was the first I heard of Johnny Green coming back with the Galway squad. You know, I was, t- I was asked just in the Marty squad. Here, Damien, are you getting paid for Marty squad jokes on our show here? <laughs> That's three. Wait, no, I do, I, do, I, I do that completely voluntary. <laughs> <laughs> away from the messing there lads right we have a serious show to do here right? <laughs> but, 
Alright, so the news broke over the weekend that David Glennon has declared himself for the Westmead Hurlers and he joins us on the line now. How's it going, Davey? Good now, Colin. Good now. And you? Not too bad. Not too bad. This came as a bit of a, a shock. You're changing the Maroon for another Maroon team. Yeah, I've seen a headline that uh, changing changing counties but not the colour and I suppose it's, it's right in a way. Um, uh, it came, I suppose, fast to me as well. It was something that... Uh, kind of came about um, going back a little bit earlier this year so an opportunity came about and um, I suppose me finishing up with, with Galway uh, in early February gave me a chance I suppose to to see well what what, what can I do with my with my inter-county career being over with Galway uh, basically so this opportunity came and, and, and why not take it while I'm still fit and, and fresh and, and feeling 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 good, you know. Well well exactly, that's it. So Noel Larkin is in with Westmead, um and you obviously worked with him. He was in uh Michal Donahue's backroom team and Alan Kearns is in there as well. I presume it was one of those two lads that approached you. Um it, to be honest it wasn't uh really um at all because uh, I think I think Noel is only is, is only in with in Westmead in the last couple of weeks months uh, initially as well so uh, look I was I suppose I was with Galway until I was let go in early February and and, and you know I thought I suppose with uh, like every manager I suppose has has different ideas as, as I as I quote it um, and, and different different players I suppose to think differently of different players and uh, I um, I, I obviously met with Shane O'Neill after being after being dropped again a few weeks later, and, and basically asked the question: Was my was my um, intercounty career under under Shane O'Neill uh, over? And and I was told it wasn't. Um, and taking that on board, I knew that we had club championship coming up, um, and that was going to start before the intercounty, um, and I had a chance to show. What what I, I I could do, and I asked the questions. I suppose what was I weak on, or what did I need to improve on um, yeah. as a player? Um, and uh, I went about and and did what I was, I suppose, told I needed to work on. Um, what was and that? I, and I didn't. What was that as a matter of interest? What feedback did you get? Um, I got my feedback that my physical, um, uh, my my explosive pace wasn't wasn't good enough. Um, so, and and that was basically uh, the most the most that I got out of it, and 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 the feedback that I got that I needed to improve my my explosive pace. Um, so I, I worked on that, and uh, and I got a little bit of one on one with with, with an SNC myself behind the scenes, and, and I hurled away at my club uh, and trained as best I could. And you know, I, it was either going to go one way or another. I suppose it was either going to go where I'd throw the the ties out the pram and sulk or, or I was going to basically go the uh, the approach take the approach of maybe taking on board what I needed to do feedback and, and try and improve as best I could and if it was going to be and was good enough well well and good and if it wasn't I couldn't say well I didn't try you know and right. it was with the club scene with the club scene coming on uh, I thought well this is you're in the shop window again you're in the shop front so so let's let's see where, where it takes you and I suppose if your form was good enough, uh, and you were hurling well enough, and you were leading for your for your club, which I basically expect every 
inter-county player would would be the leader in, in their club and be and be standing out. And if I wasn't doing that, well and good. Um, but if I was, I, I was obviously going to be disappointed if yeah. I wasn't going to get a look in again. Um, and taking not, not like a long story short, I suppose the club scene. Um, we a club, my Mulya, my club. We got to the primary quarter final, um, and and I, I thought I was hurling rev, rev, uh, like as good as I could at the, at at that given time, and and I was showing a bit of form, and I was in good form. I felt I was fit, um, and I had in, improved on what I needed to improve on, but. Obviously, that wasn't just good enough, and and I suppose you have to maybe take time and step back and see well what's what's the best approach that that I can uh, and that can be there for me going forward. And uh, this this obviously came about. Yeah. So, like, I mean, so this this opportunity for Westmead came about earlier in the year, like you've explained, but you kind of put it on the long arm, hoping you would play yourself back into form. That hasn't happened, and now the Westmead thing is op- is kind of open again. You're only 29, and like you say, you're in good form. I, I, I'm not sure why this doesn't happen more often, um, Davey, because often in counties when this happens to a hurler or footballer, they kind of just have to hang up the boots at a young age. Like, at least you're saying, look, I'm not finished yet. There is another option. Totally agree, and and I know I know club players around Galway County that maybe aren't good enough um, at a particular time, or a manager has a different yeah. has a different um, idea. It's I suppose Nihal Dunahoo, all Ireland winner manager, had a different idea about me than maybe Shane O'Neill has, and that's understandable. And you just have to accept that and take it on the chin, whether you agree with with that or not. But that sports, suppose that's the GA and that's the good of. Of of the GA, um, so look at I I suppose have to take it on the chin whether I like it or not. Um, I this opportunity has come, um, and I'm willing to take it. And, and I feel at 29, I've lots to uh, play for. I suppose I have to work hard, obviously, to, to try and get into a, a Westmead team, uh, which is um, very impressive. The little bit I saw of trainings and club games so far. Uh, the club final was on there last Sunday week, um, and it was very impressive. We went to a extra time, and there was some massive hurling in it. And I suppose one of the big things I got from uh, having a look at, at things in Westmead, um, that honesty is a big thing. And I, I suppose uh, people think like or look at Westmead as a as a lesser county than Galway, but honesty is a big thing with me. And I suppose if you can give us as honest as you can in life, whether it's work or sport or that, you'll go a long way. And I think there is an honest bunch there. And I think there's bigger things to happen over the coming years uh, if, if lads obviously stick together. Yeah. Have you thought about how you're going to approach it mentally? You know, like, I mean, you obviously play for Galway and you're representing your people and your family and, you know, your county and yourself. Whereas you move to Westmead, you know, you're not really representing the people of Westmead as much. You know, you wouldn't have that connection with mm-hmm. them. You'd, you'd be more probably playing for yourself, you know, and your teammates. Yeah, uh, that's a challenge. I suppose uh, there's lots of challenges out there, and I'm willing to take that challenge. And I've thought about that. I suppose when things broke there during the week, of every sort of comments, um, and if you stay reading comments, they could bring you down. And ninety percent of it, you know yourself. Uh, of social media is, is great, but there's ten percent that's not as good. And there's often, like you're going to get uh, comments that are aren't uh, very nice. But uh, yeah, I I have thought about that. And, and look at, uh, as I said, 
I have to close one book and open another and, and that's what I'm just going to have to deal with and basically I have been very welcomed by players management and backroom um, so far and I can't say other than Anton Good and, I, and I'm willing to uh, put my neck in the line I suppose for, for whatever team whatever jersey that I put on I'm going to go out and give it 110% any day that I can and, and, and I look I suppose with being able to there's lots of people, there's lots of circumstances out there with families that you mightn't get the opportunity or mightn't be able to or injuries. But I'm going to tell you, uh, one of the luckier ones that have been healthy enough, injury-free, mentally and physically, been able to go out and, 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 and grace the, the between the white lines again. Yeah. So your, your mother uh, qualifies you to play for Westmead, am I right? Yeah, that's 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 the, yeah, that's the presidential rule, yeah. Right. Okay. And and, and Annie, I've seen some I've seen some kind of conflicting reports online. I would actually put ninety percent and the ten percent. I would nearly go fifty fifty online at this stage, Davy. But like, I mean, did you did? Uh, is there any talk? I've seen. Conflicting I haven't read. Reports. I haven't read any of them. I haven't read any of them. I just just don't look at them. <laughs> yeah, you're better off. And have you? Is the transfer going to go through, or where, where is it at? Because I've seen I've seen people say that it won't and that it will. Yeah, look, and look, as you said, you've seen people that are saying it will and it won't. Everyone has their own opinion, but like, it depends on the opinion you take. It's like people say that I was useless and I wasn't good enough for Galway and, and I was only coming out of the sub and I was only on the bench. And I suppose, look, there's, there's lots of players that come off benches. You look at uh, Morris Shannon when he was with Waterford. He wasn't a first-team starter, but it's a panel and it's what you're doing inside the panel and um, pushing lads on, um, I suppose, in training that are looking at you behind them making them better and I suppose people don't understand that either but look at majority of people will that understand sports and understand GA as well like so opinions people have opinions and they're entitled to their opinion yeah no exactly and like fair play to you for doing it like there, there's no doubt I know players in leash like at one or two I remember even when Mick O'Dwyer was around and he didn't fancy them and they had to sit out four years and then they were back in when he left so like I mean it definitely is something that players should think about if they fall out of you know favour is there somewhere where I can continue playing well if you if you qualify uh, under the regulations to uh, to to basically play with someone else yeah fair and well and good and at 29 uh, Colm, like i haven't that many like it's younger and younger is getting as I, as far as i can see with intercounty players like at 30 you're you're moving on you're getting old now compared to before um and i suppose me at 29 looking going on 30 next year um, like, am I going to be better? Well, I was in the shop window at the start of this year, um, and it, it just wasn't good enough for that that particular management. So I kind of have to look at myself and look, well, what do I do now? And 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 that, and that's kind of what I was looking at, and and the fear of not being able to play um, at the highest level anymore was, was on the back of my mind, and and it's something that I just had to basically make up my mind and, and go for it. And secondly, I feel, I suppose, going back years back, I suppose, which I've often come out with, like, interviews on, on my gambling situation years gone by, where I felt that I wasted an awful lot of my years at Intercounty uh, with, with what was holding me back in terms of uh, my gambling situation. And I feel being physically and mentally being in a very good state of mind now that uh, why not stay playing as long as I can and that's basically the way the line I took 
Yeah, and I suppose obviously playing helps with that mental and physical, you know, fitness. Absolutely, that's the big thing as well. Like I've been hurling, I suppose playing GA inter county with Galway minor under twenty one, um, and senior since since two thousand and eight. I, I played my first minor Galway game, um, up to right up to the start of February twenty twenty, um, and I've been involved year on year, and it's a it's a massive change um, for any player, um, yeah. not just me. There's lots of players that that it takes it takes, you know, literally that's half your life, your half your your life gone where you've been so caught up on in GA and caught up that you have this basically life to fill again. Uh, or what do you do? What do you take up? What's what's your hobbies? And me with 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 the difficulties that I had, um, I needed probably something to um, to fill that fill that gap. Uh, and uh, there, there is fear that what do you do? Um, you've left the time in your hands. Um, so it was something that I suppose is, is going to help me lo- uh, long term. And, and I said that I had to take and, and it, w- it was good for me as well to keep me on the straight and narrow as well, you know. Yeah, I think no, that's definitely important. And like, I mean, you, you're, you're in the pub trade. You have a pub in Loch Ray. Is that right? So I presume you've gone through a very, very difficult six months. Yeah, that too. Um, I opened late last year um, a bar in uh, Lochre and I suppose in the 15th of March we had to close because of COVID um, and knowing when, when we could open was was very difficult uh, and like everything was left at a standstill uh, and which was very difficult for everyone not just the pub trade everyone was being yeah. affected by it um, so I, I basically actually set up a a takeaway coffee dock in the front of my building in my bar which took off and I was able to do takeaway coffees which is now still open um, so it's it's uh, that's working out well for me so far and I suppose one positive thing that I took out of COVID was um, that I was able to sit back and think um, about something different in, in my business and, and now this is a separate business to, uh, to the bar which Very is good. going great so that's probably one one positive thing that has came out of COVID for me but uh, yeah it's difficult we opened again there for two weeks um, and things were were, were going as, as well as they could um, and obviously with restrictions uh, again uh, I had to close the business because I don't have an outdoor area to yeah. feed 15 people to serve alcohol so it is uh, it's, there is ups and downs but I suppose that's the challenges of life Um so look at we're just taking day by day and seeing how 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 the how everything pans out. Yeah, and and all the time through that lockdown and the business wasn't open. Were you having to pay rent, or was at least did you get some sort of a freeze on that? I know there was a freeze on that. Look at landlords and that were were very good. Uh, they understood that obviously um, places were closed for a reason, and it was out of our hands essentially. It wasn't, yeah, you know, because of of, of a person or tenant. Um, so I was I was happy enough uh, that everything was working out in my favour that way as well that I was wasn't having to pay pay money for something that I wasn't actually uh, making money on you know yeah oh well that's um, what, yeah but, but it was it was difficult I suppose with the lockdown as well you're sitting at home and I'd be a type of person that would be you know active or going I wouldn't be one to sit down and watch films or that so it was difficult to basically. Uh, be indoors all the time or be, being confined to a certain area um, and obviously with, with the gambling as well it, 
it uh, it does take its toll. You're you're basically on your phone if you're on social media. There's every sort of an advert coming up. Um, so you know you have to try and adapt, and it's a different way of life there for the last couple of months as well. So um, that's that's a challenge in itself as well. But thank God, uh, so far so good, and it's only a day at a time in that kind of a game as well. Um, you're only one step away, or one bet away, or one drink away from from going back to. Uh, where you are so that's something that I have to be conscious about as well and and, and, and look after myself Yeah well fair play to you for being able to look after yourself because like you said I saw an interview of yours um, in May I think it was and you were saying you're vulnerable all the time and especially like you say when you're mm. sitting at home nothing to do and then you're thinking of the business and how you could potentially make, make uh, a few quid yeah, yeah, and I was just looking the other day I think with this bank holiday coming up we've lost out in six bank holidays in the pub trade, uh, Paddy's week, Paddy's day, um, Easter was in there as well. So, like financially, uh, it was it wasn't it wasn't good. Um, and I suppose in my first year of business as well in the bar, uh, after after like you know, doing the place up and 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 putting a nice bit of money into the business, it probably wasn't ideal. But look, everyone's in the same boat, I suppose, and you just have to move on and get on with it and look at the positive side of things and. Obviously, as I said, one positive thing that came out of COVID for me was that I was able to see a different side to business and, and, and adapt. And that's the big thing. And I suppose thinking outside the box is is, is, is a big part of it as well. Um, and whether it was in sports with thinking outside the box, having to move on um, or in, 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 in the business side of things. Uh, so look, so far, so good. So we just have to keep going and keep trying and, and seeing where it brings us. No, you definitely have a very positive um, attitude about it anyways, Davey, I have to say. Well, you kind of have to, <laughs> uh, you know, so look, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. The pressure's on now, though, the pressure's on to deliver with, with Westmead, but um, yeah, it'll be all good, the challenge is there, so we just have to take it on board. Yeah, and the, the positive thing, you won't have to throw out all your togs and socks either, they'll all work. Well, there's crests as well. The crest, oh, put the crest off. But. Oh, right. The, oh, yeah. Only your socks will work then. There's hardly a crest on the socks, is there? <laughs> no, there's no crest on the socks. Um, but look, I hopefully I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be able to wear some of the gear anyway. Any, any, any slagging from the Galway boys? Um, nothing yet, anyway. I think it's maybe... Uh, it's a thing that is too early yet to, to go slagging about, but I'm sure I'll get, um, I'm sure I'll get a few digs, whether it is on the field. Uh, I was just actually saying to someone the other day there that my debut for Galway was in 2012 against Westmead, and uh, I was taken off after, I think Angie Cunningham took me off after 40 minutes. Uh, I was I was cat the same day, but uh, uh, my I, maybe if it's after the year, Next year, I think the first round of the league maybe against Galway. So my debut for for Westmead will be against Galway. So that'll be something interesting, won't it? Jesus, you, I have to say it will be interesting. But you did well to be cat in fourteen minutes. How cat can you be in fourteen bloody minutes? Very, very. When you're in corner <laughs> forward, and 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 it's it's like tennis is going and it's coming out as fast. <laughs> the curly fingers on the way, so it was. Uh, so that wasn't, I suppose, something a good memory, but. Uh, yeah, I was I was actually down in um, Westmead at the county final, and I was looking at at the position I was in that day. I don't think I'd been back there since, and it was cringy to look at. To be honest, right. come here before you go. We were, memories, but 
Jesus, I'm sure. I'm sure. To, come here before you go. Um, we were talking on the show about um, these yellow slitters, and the three of us are football people. So I want to get your thoughts on it. There, what? Like, did you play with them in the Fenway Classic? I presume you went over there a couple of years. I did, yeah, in Boston. Um, that was kind of different, though, because it was something. It was different. There was different rules, and it was basically it wasn't a. You know, it was just a temporary thing with the yellow slitter out there, but. Coming into the championship in 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 in, in Ireland is, is something. It's it's a strange one, and obviously there's going to be lots of opinions on it. But I, I don't think I'd be um, in favour of the yellow slitter. I suppose traditionally our slitter is white and black rims, and and that's that's the way you kind of like to keep it. But yeah, I suppose it's different. You look at the plastic hurl now as well. Uh, people are using, so everyone has a different opinion. And maybe with the the change in the time of championship this year being basically darker in the evenings and I suppose getting darker at 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock in the evening now and teams having to train later and lights yeah. mightn't be as good as other lights maybe that's a good thing so it may work but I don't I wouldn't like to see it uh, going compulsory um, I think next year maybe when things may, may hopefully get back to normality or some kind of normality again that things will go back but I, I would be in favour of the normal slitter and keeping the same as what it was Um Right, yeah, that was a little bit strange. Yeah, no, that's the colour of it. Oh, Murphy said that they're like rocks. Is there a difference in the weight of them? Or, you know, actual. Yeah, use? there is. Like out there, there was. Yeah, because you get different. Like I think it's a certain slitter that we have to use. We're in 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 the in the normal slitter. You could be using different types or, or style of slitter um, makes. There's different makers out there, but uh, yeah, they are like rocks. Like the, I suppose your hurl. I've seen a lot of the lads were cracking their hurls with, with the with the slitter. Right. Um, but I don't know what type of, or who's going to make in the slitters, but yeah, I suppose everyone has a different opinion on them. And um, we'll have to wait and see. It's something different, I suppose. Yeah. Look, no, isn't it good to be able to go out there and hurl again, I suppose, with everything that's going on. So you'll take the yellow slitter to be able to tug out and perform the way things have, have gone on in, in, in the world. Yeah, no, you definitely will. Come here, Davey. I've kept you long enough. Thanks very much for taking the call. Thank you. Best luck. All right, great stuff from Davey there. Right, we'll be back on Thursday. We're going to have a football show. And this Thursday, football starting at the weekend. We'll be back with the hurling show then starting the following week. Um, all the pundits are back. Keen Ward is back uh, next Monday, which is some good news for everybody. And uh, we'll talk to you all on Thursday. Good luck. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So it opened up. We were only the small little fish out there, so we are. And uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because like, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. I let it go, cause I won't see you later.